Well, good morning. And yes, I just love the groovy music we selected for this series. And uh, those of you that are at our uh, other campuses at uh, Kentwood and East Paris and Nap Street, I'm just so pleased that uh, we get to be together today. Those of you who join us online as well. Uh, for the midpoint of this series called 10 Questions Jesus Asked. This is our summer series and this weekend takes us to question number five halfway through. Starting next weekend, I hand off the series to my partner in crime, Aaron Buer, who will take this series uh, from here. So uh, this, this weekend, wonderful weekend to begin with a question. Show of hand, please. How many of you enjoy grilling? Show of hands, grilling. Okay, how many of you don't go anywhere near a grill, but from time to time you enjoy eating the food of someone who does enjoy grilling? Okay. Uh, second question, wonderful Michigan question. How many of you enjoy eating meals beside bodies of water? Anybody, Inland Lake, Lake Michigan, Lakeshore, uh, a river? Okay, for those of you who enjoy grilling and for those of you who enjoy eating meals by water, today is your lucky day. Because our study today takes place here. It's a place called the Sea of Galilee. It's not a sea, really. It's an inland lake in northern Israel. It's about 33 miles around, which means you could hike around it. It might take you a couple days, but you could hike around it. And today's conversation takes place right there at a meal, a breakfast right there beside the Sea of Galilee. So um, as we get into our teaching today, some of you are going to have a moment where you go, this feels kind of familiar. And if that's true, it's because three summers ago, August 2019, I did a message called Breakfast with Jesus from this same story. And so I took some bits and pieces of that message and kind of grafted them into this study today. So if some parts feel a little familiar to you, uh, that's why. And what's important is not just where this conversation takes place, but when this conversation takes place. So technical term for the day. Ready? Technical term for the day, a post-resurrection appearance. Say it with me. Ready? A post-resurrection appearance. Now, there are a handful of these in our Bible. What a post-resurrection appearance is, is you have the crucifixion of Jesus, then like three days later, what we celebrate on Easter Sunday, Jesus is alive and well, and then he starts showing up and having interactions with his disciples. There are just a handful of these. One of them is doubting Thomas. I'm not going to believe he's back unless I like actually see where the nail holes went into his hands and that wound in his side. And then Jesus appears to Thomas and says, okay, check it out. Stop doubting, but believe. This is called a, a what, a post-resurrection appearance. And so uh, very, very critical, not only that this conversation takes place, but when it takes place. So back to the Sea of Galilee, breakfast with Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It is a beautiful location for a challenging conversation because it is there by the Sea of Galilee that Jesus looks at one of his disciples and asks the question, do you love me? Do you love me? And this question happens to come after a colossal personal failure. And so, you know, I, 
I don't know what you're experiencing when you walk into, as you walk in today, but I, I can just imagine that there are more than a few who walk in, and recently, very recently, you said something or done something, and you're just kind of going, dumb, 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 and you're living in the land of regret, where just waves of shame are pouring in over something you said or something you did or something that you didn't do. I am so grateful that you are here today because today's conversation that we get to explore today has to do with what it looks like to be restored, what it looks like to get fully restored, what it looks like to find your way back home after a significant failure. So today's uh, question, do you love me? One, in the Gospels, it's like, they're like, you count them up. There's like 307 questions that Jesus asked. This question, do you love me? I think is a pivotal and critical question, particularly after a major life failure. So today's story unfolds in four parts, and we just called uh, part one, uh, breakfast with Jesus, breakfast with Jesus. So if you were to open a Bible to John chapter 21, verse one, you would encounter these words, Afterward, Jesus, what? What's the next word? Jesus, what? Appeared. It's a post-resurrection appearance. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Peter, one of his disciples, after the resurrection, hey, I'm going fishing. Who wants to go with me? And like six other disciples, they go, okay, we're in. And they go fishing with Peter. Now, this isn't fishing from shore with a fishing pole or fishing from a dock with a fishing pole. It's not even throwing a net from shore. The type of fishing they're doing, they're going out in a boat. It's night fishing when the fish are closer to the surface and they fish all night. I mean, you just get this. They throw the net out and then they pull it back in. And they throw the net out and they pull it back in. And they throw the net out and they pull it back in all night long and they catch nothing. They get skunked. And toward daybreak, there's a guy on shore about 100 yards away. And the guy on shore yells out to the boat, did you catch anything? And they go, no. And the guy on shore says, try throwing the net on the other side of the boat. Some of those guys in the boat were not rookies. Uh, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were raised on the lake in the fishing industry. Here's this guy on shore giving them advice on catching fish. This had been their trade, their craft, their career. So it's, okay, he humored the guy. They, they take the net, throw it on the other side of the boat, and suddenly... The boat lurches. It lunges. It's like every fish in the Sea of Galilee swam toward their net. And they're trying to pull this thing in. And this is where John looks at Peter and goes, it's him. <laughs> Splash. Really, Peter jumps into the water and starts swimming <laughs> toward shore. Well, John and the other guys, they start pulling this net. They can't even get it over the edge. So they start rowing pulling the net toward the shore. And when they get to the shore, this is what they find. 
Jesus has started a campfire. Over the coals, he's grilling fish, and he's baking bread right there on the shore. Breakfast with Jesus. This is how the story goes, verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And then comes the invitation of Jesus. Are you ready for Jesus' invitation? Here it is. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Ah, yes. Some of you have favorite quotes of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's my favorite Jesus quote. Come and have breakfast. I know that many of you in this room just became believers. Jeff, I now believe. I believe in breakfast Jesus. I believe in campfire Jesus. No, you need to absorb this. Now, you, you, you don't limit Jesus to this, but please include this in your image of Jesus. This is, this is a multi-sensory experience. Smell the aroma of the baking bread. Feel the warmth of the campfire. Hear the fish sizzle on the coals. And taste the meal he has prepared for you. There's, there's something about this scene of Jesus making a campfire and grilling fish and baking bread. There's something about this scene that should make you want to love Jesus more. This, uh, this wasn't the first time. In your image of Jesus, there's Jesus' as healer, because he healed people. There's Jesus' as teacher, like the Sermon on the Mount. There's Jesus' as savior, because he comes and dies for us. But do not miss out on this image of Jesus as friend, the long meals that he had with his friends. And yes, my wife was in the early service today, and after the service, she had a question for me. She said, are those my glasses? <laughs> and I said, maybe. Ah. So John chapter, we're in John chapter 21, this breakfast with Jesus thing. But way back at the beginning of John's gospel, he's collecting disciples. Philip, Nathaniel, Peter begin to follow him. They say, where are you going? He says, come and see. And they come and they begin to follow and learn from Jesus. One of the first stories you encounter is Jesus at a wedding reception. Seriously, Jesus hanging out at a wedding reception. His first miracle is turning water into wine at a wedding reception. That's like, that's like John chapter 2, very beginning of the story. But then you turn several pages and you come to the Last Supper. John chapter 13. And again, you find him at a meal with his disciples. It's at this meal that Jesus, he disrobes. He, he, he takes his robe off, ties a towel around his waist, and he begins to wash the dirty feet of Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel and John and James and Peter to work his way around the whole table. But the Last Supper is a meal. And so it, it starts at a wedding reception, and then this is the Last Supper, and now he's making food for his disciples. And if there's one thing I want you to walk away with today, it's this sensation that there's room at his table for you. In fact, just uh, say these words with me. Uh, there's room at the table for me. Ready? There's room at the table for me. One more time. 
there's room at the table for me. And even as I've had you whisper those words, there are some of you that would just go, Jeff, you don't know me. You don't know anything about me. You don't know some of the things I've said. You don't know some of the things I've done. You don't know me. I mean, there was room at Jesus' campfire for Peter, Andrew, and James. But Jeff, we call these people now St. Peter, St. Andrew, St. James. Jeff, I ain't no saint. There was room at Jesus' campfire for them. I, I don't think there's room at his table for me. Question, anybody sitting around Jesus' fire that day that maybe had done something a little unsaintly? Now, this story, what kind of appearance is it? This is a post-resurrection appearance, meaning after the resurrection. If it's after the resurrection, it means it's after the crucifixion. It's after the crucifixion of Jesus. It's also after the trial of Jesus. Anybody at the trial of Jesus who's sitting around the campfire there that did something a little unsaintly? Is ringing any bells with anybody? Maybe Peter, the guy that jumped in the water and swam to shore? Part, part one of the story, Breakfast of Jesus. Part two of the story, The Land of Regret. Jesus leaves the Last Supper with his disciples. He's heading to the garden where he will be arrested. Leaving the Last Supper and on the way to the garden, he kind of drops a bomb. He says, uh, tonight, all you guys are going to run. All of you will fall away. And Peter goes, not me, man. Even if everybody deserts you, I will never desert you. I'm more dedicated, I'm more devoted, I'm more committed. Even if everybody bails, I'll never bail. And Jesus looks at Peter and goes, tonight, I mean this very day, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, marking the dawn of a new day, Peter, you're going to disown me like three times. And Peter goes, yeah, like that's going to happen. Even if everybody disowns you, I'll die with you. I'll never desert you. Peter follows Jesus to where Jesus will go on trial. And I love this picture here. It's wildly inaccurate based on a first century context. But it has an element that I love. And that is in a lower patio area, in a lower courtyard, there's a fire going. But you can see from here up into the living room of this house. And what I love about this image is that as Jesus is on trial in a room up above, there is a sight line down to a fire where Peter is warming himself, and it is not going well up there. Jesus is going to get ganged up on, falsely accused, lies told about him, and there will reach a point in his trial where Jesus will get punched out. And Peter is down here, and he's warming his hands by the fire, and he's getting scared. This is the way the story unfolds for us. A servant girl... A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man, this man was with him. This is one of Jesus' guys, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. 
A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Listen to his accent. He's from up north. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and cried like a baby. He went outside and wept bitterly. Welcome to the land of regret. In our Bible, there are four biographies on Jesus. These are in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know which one of those recounts the story of Peter disowning Jesus? You know which one of those? All of them. <laughs> Not only was this failure, this was well-documented failure. <laughs> Not only is this failure, this is well-publicized failure. This is well-known failure. This is a failure that early Christians, it was woven into the fabric of the way they talked about the trial, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus. Peter's failure was woven right into it. Welcome, welcome to the land of regret. We've all been there, you know. I mean, if we're honest, if we're honest and see ourselves honestly, we all, we, we all have our moments where we wish we had a do-over. When was yours? You ever, you ever wish you had a do-over on something? I mean, looking back to middle school, there was someone in your class that was socially awkward, and there was not only teasing, there was taunting. Perhaps you and a few others did everything within your power to make that kid's life miserable, and you look back and say, yeah, well, that's what kids do, and you look back and say, no, 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 it was mean. I wonder where she is today. I wonder where he is today. You ever wish you had a do-over? <laughs> you were married and you got bored. Maybe a little lonely, but bored and lonely. And you found out that Facebook is a remarkable tool for checking in on other people who are also bored and lonely. You know, Jeff, it's a mess, man. It's a mess. It's a mess. It's a real mess. You ever, you ever wish you had a do-over? Promises that were made to a client, and even as you were making the promises, you knew that there was no way that these promises could be fulfilled or kept, and now it's all coming back. See, if the, if, if the truth were told 
all of us, all of us have walked through the land of regret. All of us have at least some point, multiple points in life where we go, I wish I had a do-over on that. I wish I had a do-over on that. I wish I had a do-over on that. That semester at that college, that spring break, that year where you just kind of shut down and zoned out and your kids needed you and you were physically there but you weren't emotionally there because of the way you shut down. I mean, what was it for you where you found yourself in the land of regret and you just wished you had a do-over. You need to know something. Jesus starts this campfire and says to Peter and the others, come and have breakfast. He does not invite Peter to this campfire when Peter feels cleaned up. He invites Peter to breakfast when Peter feels messed up. Come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. And Peter doesn't feel very saint-like. But as they're wrapping up breakfast, um, something's hanging in the air. And it's not just the smoke from the campfire. <laughs> Something hangs in the air, and it's not just the aroma of baking bread and grilling fish. What hangs in the air is the aroma of unfinished business. I don't think they've talked about this yet. Peter's failure. And so part three, it's time, it's time for a fireside chat. They're wrapping up breakfast and Jesus looks at Peter and he asks him a question. Do you love me? Do you love me? When Jesus asks Peter this question, is John 21, it's hard to read. can't imagine how challenging it would have been to walk through this conversation after a public, well-publicized failure. Do you love me? This, this is the way the conversation went down. <laughs> when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? <laughs> Simon, son of John, that is a formal way to address someone. It's like Jesus asking me, Jeffrey Wayne Mannion, I have a question. Oh, no. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said, you, you know, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. That's interesting. I'm glad that conversation's over with and we can move on to a better topic. Nope. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You, you know, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. 
Round two, now we're really ready to move on to something else. A third time, oh no. A third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it is killing Peter. It says Peter hurt, he was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Why? Why does Jesus ask the question three times? And, and I don't know for sure. It doesn't say here in the story. I've got a theory that I like. Would, would you like to hear it? Thank you. The theory is this, is that Peter disowned Jesus three times, and now here's the opportunity to re-own him three times. Three times sitting by that other campfire, Jesus, Peter had said, don't know him, don't know him, don't know what you're talking about, don't know him. Now here's an opportunity sitting by this campfire to re-own Jesus three times. I don't think Jesus is asking the question to shame Peter. I believe Jesus is asking the question three times to fully restore Peter. I think Peter needs to know that he's still on the team. And Jesus asks him three times to re-own him after he had disowned him three times. Jesus is not attempting to shame Peter. He's attempting to restore Peter. And right now, if something warms inside you that goes, is this, Jeff, is this what it means to be forgiven? It's better than that. Peter is not only finding himself forgiven, he's finding himself reinstated and he's finding himself recommissioned. I need you to dial into this. This is conversation number four. Conversation number four has to do with a new assignment. And this has to do with Jesus asked, do you love me? Peter says, you, oh, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, three expressions here. First time, Jesus says, feed my lambs. Second time, Jesus says, take care of my sheep. Third time, Jesus says, feed my sheep. He uses the language of animal husbandry. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, then take care of them. Peter, do you love me? Yes, then feed my lambs. Do you love me? Then take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Something happens here that's very important. What's very important is they discover that we express our love for Jesus who we can't see by taking care of people that we can see. Jesus says, do you love me? And if we say, yeah, I really do, he says, well, then take care of them. Take care of him. Take care of her. Take care of them. What is so powerful here? is that we need to discover and we need to understand that for someone to really experience the love of God, often that needs to be mediated through another human being. Let me express it, uh, let me express it this way through a story that took place, I'm guessing, man, I'm guessing 20, 20 plus years ago because our kids are now in their like early 30s, and at the time, they were like middle school age. And a woman who attended our church at the time, her name was Linda, and Linda approached Chris and I and said, I want to bring you guys a meal. To which we said, okay. 
But understand something, nobody was sick. There was no newborn baby. There was nobody recovering from surgery. It was just, I want to bring you a meal. And we do know how to cook. I know how to cook a couple things. Chris knows how to cook a lot of things. But on those days when I am disinclined, either because of lack of time or motivation to cook something, I am highly skilled at going through a drive through window. And yet, Linda said, I want to bring you a meal. So we said, okay. She arrived at the house, I don't know, on a Tuesday night or something like that, and it took her multiple trips between her car and our dining table. Listen, it's been over 20 years. I don't remember exactly, precisely what was in those boxes, but I can give you a sense of it. It was either like a full ham or a tray of fried chicken, but it was wonderful, it was delicious, and there was a lot of it. It was like mashed potatoes and gravy, a beautiful salad. I do remember rolls that were uh, homemade rolls that were in a, a basket, and dessert uh, was not only delicious to taste, but beautiful to look at. It was like a homemade pie that she had made, my friends. This was not a meal, this was a feast. This, this was the kind of meal in, in, in its uh, quality and in its quantity that one might prepare on Easter Sunday when they had family over. This, if you looked at our table, it looked far more like Thanksgiving Day. But this wasn't Thanksgiving and this wasn't Easter. This was, this was Tuesday. <laughs> at Tuesday evening and we sat down to this feast. This is why I remember Linda's meal so acutely I remember that I not only experienced the love of Linda I experienced the love of God it might sound crazy but as we sat down to this feast it's not only that we experienced Linda's hospitality it was as if our father were saying enjoy this I see you, I care about you, enjoy this. We felt God's love through Linda's meal. This is so critical because we can sing songs about the love of God and not get it. And, and, and I can preach about the love of God, and we cannot get it. Often we experience the love of God mediated through the love of another human being. Someone else can experience God's mercy through your mercy. Someone else begins to taste of God's love through your love. They begin to experience God's grace because of your grace. It's possible for someone else to experience the kindness of the Father through your kindness and the goodness of God through your goodness. This is why Jesus looks at Peter at the campfire and after the meal and says, do you love me? And Peter says, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, okay, you take care of my sheep. If you love me, take care of him, take care of her, take care of them. Because we express love to Jesus who we can't see through loving people, flawed people that we can see. 
Do you love me? Peter says, you, you, know, you, you know I do. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. See, what, what, what I'm trying to say here is this, that if you find yourself in the land of regret, I blew it, I blew it, I blew it, and you find yourself invited to a campfire breakfast with Jesus, do not be surprised if you find yourself recommissioned and reassigned. Not just to feel forgiven, but to feel like he's calling you and wants to partner with you. Wants you to partner with him in loving and extending grace and showing goodness and kindness to his kids if you love me love them. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing, not just to feel forgiven, but to feel assigned and to feel commissioned. This is where this story of restoration leads. But if there's, if there's just one sentence I want you to walk away with, it's just this sentence right here, there's a place at the table for me. Can you say it with me again? Ready? There's a place at the table for me. Feel the warmth of the fire. Hear the sizzle of the fish upon the grill. Smell the aroma of fresh baked bread. Taste the meal that he has for you. There's room at the table for you. There really is. Let me ask you to stand here at Cascade and also at our other campuses. I get to pray for us as we embark on our weeks. Gracious God, I give thanks that we have been able to be in this space today to absorb your word, to gather around a fire pit. And to see Jesus calling us to dine with him. Gracious Lord, I ask that we might reflect the one who came for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for being here today.